All right, let's go. Hour number two on a Tuesday. It was all about the Tigers last night in Omaha. At least the Gators had a long time to get used to it because that was an absolute butt kicking. 18-4, LSU gets their seventh national championship, passing Texas in the overall ledger. They've got seven. USC, of course, on top of that mountain with 12 natties in college baseball. That is four in a row and six, uh, four in a row for the SEC and six years in a row with at least one team in the championship series. So we've hit that today. Little NFL talk as well. We are closing in on the season. 67 days from that first big college football weekend. Only 72 days away from our first regular season NFL game. Obviously, we'll have some preseason games even uh, hitting before that. Uh, also, it's been a big week, couple weeks actually in recruiting. Well, we know recruiting never dies, never stops. Uh, and that's why we have uh, a lot of great guests on, including the first visit from this guy. Let's go to the Vaqueros Cafe and Cantina hotline. We're talking with Hank South of Horns247.com. Check out all their great work at HankSouth247 on Twitter. Hank, how are you? Hey, Todd, I'm good. How are you? Man, we're doing well. Uh, I appreciate the time. I know it's a it's always a busy time in recruiting, uh, but definitely wanted to get your perspective on what Texas is doing, what Steve Sarkeesian is doing right now. Um, with, with the current landscape, do you think we're going to continue to see – I mean, I guess June was, has always been a big deal. I get, Obviously, official visit weekends and junior weekends back in the day. These things used to be big. Are we, get, are we seeing it get even more focused now on the month of June uh, with the visits and, and you know, the, the kids really trying to fit a lot of things into June? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have said before, you know, I feel like June's almost equivalent to December in terms of busyness. It's just um, especially since, you know, the, the NCAA rules changed a few years back where, you know, kids could take official visits in the summer and they could take them in the spring a little bit. Um, that's really when we started to see a lot of um, focus shift on getting these kids on campus in the summer and really being able to spend a lot of time with them. Because, if you, you know, if you think about it in the fall during game weekends, you know, obviously you want to have recruits see the, your atmosphere and, and uh, you know, see big wins if possible. Um, but you just don't get that one-on-one time as much as you would in the summer, you know, with the busy game weekends and all the schedules and everything going on. So, you know, that's been a focus of Texas under Steve Sarkeesian. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's, uh, you know, these back-to-back weekends, they've had, you know, 20-plus visitors on campus each weekend. And, you know, they, they've really knocked it out of the park in terms of, you know, having that many visitors, having that many priority targets, but also, you know, making sure that they're, they're you know, comfortable, feel welcome, getting plenty of exposure and time with the coaching staff and uh, <clears throat> get that true official visit experience. So, yeah, June has really become kind of that, you know, you know, one of two months in the year that you, the recruiting really, you know, takes off, the visits happen, the pushes are made, um, and then, you know, we kind of see the re- that result in commitments, you know, following the rest of the summer. So, yeah, certainly a busy time. Yeah, it's been wild to follow. Obviously, the Longhorns now up to five verbal commitments just this month. Let me ask you about the two running backs. I know a lot of Texas fans are excited about that. It's in the DNA of the school, obviously, with the Heisman winners. So I'm always fascinated by the position in Texas. So talk to me about Christian Clark first off. He was the first guy to commit of the two. Uh, I watched a little bit of film on him, Arizona guy, single-digit uh, on the on 
the jersey. I know he's reminded a few people of Bijan. I know that's kind of unfair to a kid at this point, but what do you see when you watch Christian Clark? Yeah, I, I like him a lot. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think, you know, he, he was, you know, top two targets on the Texas running back board. So that, that shows you how coveted he was by their staff as well. But, you know, I, I turn on his tape and, and I don't claim to be a scout or anything, but, you know, there, there is a lot to like. Um, you know, he's got great vision. He's got good burst. Um, he's really tough to take down. Um, and, you know, he's, he doesn't have that breakaway speed, that, um, but, you know, he accelerates so quickly. Um, so, you know, he, he certainly – you can see what Texas really liked about him. Um, I think he averaged just over seven yards a carry last season, and, and he's really effective catching the ball out of the backfield as well. So I think uh, there's a lot to like about Christian Clark, and, and, and uh, you know, you can see why the shark choice – you know, had him at the top of his list. Yeah, seven yards a clip. That'll do. That'll work. Um, (laughs) How about Jarek Gibson? I'm assuming of the – when you say two of the highest-rated guys on their board, I'm assuming Jarek is the other guy. Uh, He's now the highest-rated overall player, I believe, in this class uh, out of Florida. Uh, What do you see from him, and how would you contrast the two? How do you think the two uh, might work together? Yeah, I I think, um, you know, they're – I feel like they're actually a little similar, but I, I think you you know you give that you know that speed that that uh, speed to the edge that kind of burst probably more so to Jared Gibson. I, I think he's kind of more the the lightning um, of the two. Um, again, not like you know he's not your four three guy, but certainly can break away. Um, you know he, he's another guy that's just really tough to take down. I think the first play on his huddle from last year, he runs up the middle and you know. The, the safety comes down to try to hit him, and he just goes along for the ride with him, um, and, and he, he breaks away. So I, I think he's a um, really talented kid. Um, obviously, you know, he plays high-level um, high school football at IMG Academy. They play, you know, top 10 teams every week um, at, at the high school level. And, you know, a lot of the times they're, you know, you look at a stat line, and it's not, you know, over 1,000 yards. But if you look at IMG, a lot of the time they're up by, you know, four touchdowns at halftime. They pull their starters out. So, mm. Usually the stats aren't as much there with the IMG kids, um, but you just kind of got to look at that first half production. He's really explosive. He has a 41-inch vertical, which is absurd. Um, and, and, you know, he's, uh, he, um, I know Andrew Ivins, on our, um, our director of scouting at 24-7, compares him to Sony Michelle. So that's certainly a, a nice little NFL comparison there for Jared Gibson. But two really exciting running backs. And, and uh, you know, I, the, the, the Texas backfield is really set up for years to come. Tell me how that speaks to, to Shard Choice for you. You know in covering recruiting how important these relationships can be. I feel like I'm hearing that word even more now, uh, especially with the, all the choices on the player's side, NIL, transfers, and portal and everything. So um, talk to me about to Shard Choice and what he's become in recruiting right now. Yeah, you know, obviously I covered Alabama for, for eight years, and, you know, I've seen plenty of really st- strong recruiters. That's kind of a prerequisite for a uh, – to be on Nick Saban's staff is you have to have that ability to recruit. Um, and so I've seen a lot of, you know, player coach relationships that, you know, that have, that sealed the deal. And, you know, when, when I've come over to the Texas beat now, Tashard choice kind of matches up with, with a lot of what I've seen, you know, in terms of the Alabama recruiter, the top Alabama recruiters, you know, he's just really able to connect with these kids. He's a younger guy. So obviously, you know, he can, uh, you know, he, he can relate more with these kids a little bit uh, more at their level. Um, and, and, you know, he's just energetic. He's passionate. You know, these kids, really respond well to that, that resonates well with them and their families. And, you know, he, he works hard at it. You know, a lot of these times, you know, you'll see recruiters that, you know, have staffers that, you know, reach out to the kids or, you know, they don't put as much of their, you know, heart and soul into the recruiting process. But, you know, you, you can tell he does. 
And, uh, and that certainly resonates with the kids. They're able to connect with him. And, you know, when you're a priority, you know, he makes, he makes sure from what, you know, we've talked to recruits about, you know, he makes sure, you know, it. So, Hmm. you know, I I think to shark choices, you know, to, to come in after, you know, Drayton and, and, and that run, you know, he, he's really filled in nicely. And I think he'll, you know, be one of that top 10 recruiter um, kind of role on the staff for sure. Yeah, that is huge. Uh, talking with Hank South, horns247.com, at HankSouth247 on Twitter, if you want to give him a follow. Um, Hank, in terms of what's next for Texas, I know there was a lot of talk about Colin Simmons, uh, the stud out of Duncanville, uh, and I keep reading and hearing that it is a Texas-LSU uh, discussion, and it might go right down to the finish line. Give me your latest on Colin Simmons, uh, and maybe let's just start with how good are we talking about here if texas got colin simmons in this 24 class could they get anything else to top it in your mind or is he that type of dude no he he's that type of dude if they were able to to pull in colin simmons that would be kind of your marquee guy in the class of 2024 especially you know when edge rushers edge rushers are such a premium you know that that and that's something texas needs they need to add edge rushers in this class and when you have a guy like Colin Simmons, that talent level. And, you know, I, you know, he's number one in the country at the position, so, you know, you can really compare him to a lot of guys. I've, I've seen Will Anderson thrown out with him. That's obviously probably the loftiest comparison in terms of, you know, recent guys you could, comp- you could like, comp that to. Um, so, you know, he would be, the, he would be a massive get. Um, he's coming off his official visit to Austin. We actually tried to catch up with him after the trip, and he didn't want to do an interview just yet. He said he wants to kind of, you know, uh, make sure he's don't you know focus or you know look back on all his visits. I couldn't think of the word and and kind of um, you know think about everything and then do interviews after that. We did get a hook'em from him. That was uh, ah. the one comment he did give us on the visit. So, uh, <laughs> okay. but no, we've been hearing you know behind the scenes. I, I think Texas is you know they're he's a priority. Absolutely, they're making him feel that way. They're, they I think they knocked it out of the park with the visit this past weekend. Um, getting him on campus right before the dead period. So, you know, if he does take it to December, you know, Texas is going to be there all the way to the end with LSU. Um, but, you know, there, there's also talk that, you know, maybe maybe Texas did enough to uh, to get him to commit earlier. So that's a guy we're, we're closely watching, um, regardless of when he does it, Texas is right there in that top group for Colin Simmons. Hank, Colin's a guy definitely on defense that could be a, a huge addition to Sark's 2024 class. But I'm just curious, offensively, it feels like there's two guys, Ryan Wingo, who right now looks like he's leaning heavily Georgia. But the second guy is Terry Bussey, the, the 2A athlete from Timpson, Texas, five-star kid who uh, he came on campus recently. What can you tell us about Terry, where he stands with Texas, and what Texas fans need to know about this kid who has kind of risen up the 247 sports recruiting rankings in the past year? Yeah, I have to give props to uh, to our, our guy Hudson Standish on, on Horns 24-7 who kind of – was the first to really kind of uh, put him on the radar. Obviously, Terry put himself on the radar with his talent level, but, you know, the first guy to really start covering him. Um, but, yeah, Texas was able to get him on campus this past weekend, and, and it was kind of um, a situation where I, I wouldn't necessarily describe it as playing from behind, but maybe a little bit of ground to make up with him. I, Texas offered a little bit later, um, but they're certainly, you know, pushing for him now. That, that wasn't, you know, it's not something where they're, they're still thinking about it or, you know, they're not really pressing yet. They're definitely pressing for him. I know um, Oklahoma, I think, had a little bit of confidence coming into this past weekend as well as LSU. Um, but, he, you know, he, 
talking to him. Hudson Sanders did an interview with him that's up at Horns 24-7 right now, and he, he said Texas definitely moved into one of the top spots in his recruitment. So they're certainly uh, putting in the work now. He was spending time with Arch Manning on the weekend, um, Juan Davis tight end. So he definitely um, you know got that red, car- red carpet treatment. Um, over the weekend, and I, I believe the plan is to uh, to still take his recruitment into the fall. So, you know, obviously Texas will probably try to get him back in for an unofficial visit for a, for a game weekend, um, if not more. Um, but, yeah, I, I think they've definitely helped themselves, but I, I wouldn't, you know, quite yet project Terry Bussey to pick Texas at this point. Talking with Hank South, Horns247.com. Hank, tell us a little bit more about Bussey in terms of position. I see him here at, what, 5'10 and a half, 180, um, listed as a wide receiver. I know he's been described as you know the athlete by some. For you, does he project forward into college as a badass slot receiver, guy who could take the top off the defense, all of the above? How do you see him? Yeah, I, I I think just that. I think he's a guy. You know, that's exactly the term. You know, the description I would say: take the top off the defense. He's a really dynamic kid, and obviously, you know, positions can change. You know, I remember I covered when I was covering Alabama one spring. Uh, they moved Devonte Smith, the cornerback, um, and, and obviously now he's. <laughs> I think that was more for depth in the spring, but you know that didn't stick. Obviously, but um, that was you know he was a dynamic athlete as well. But I think with. Terry Bussey, uh, you know, I, I think the work that Chris Jackson's put in, um, I, I think it's pretty evident that they want they want to put him in the slot, you know, let him uh, let him do his work there and and just you know turn on the Jets and, and take the top off the defense. So that that's where I would project him, and, and I think that's you know what he wants to do as well. Hmm. The other priority target receiver in this class, Hank, seems to be Micah Hudson. Now, right now, it looks like Texas Tech is expecting a commitment. Possibly, I know he was expected to commit. I think earlier this week, never did. How do you see this recruitment playing out for Texas, where Micah stands? And is this going to be a recruitment where everything depends on how Texas performs this season before Micah ultimately decides to commit and sign with a school? Yeah, so, yeah, I, I do think right now, you know, if, if he does commit anytime in, you know, the near future, it's, it's going to be Texas Tech. They've done a really good job, Joey McGuire. They, they've really pitched him well. I, you know, he's a lot more of a low-key kind of kid um I don't, i'm not sure he buys into all you know he, he's not going to hype him he's not all about the hype and, and you know the recruiting drama and all that and i think that's why texas tech has kind of thrived a lot you know they're, they're obviously tech isn't that major high profile program um and, and you know I, but i think he's just really connected with their staff with that being said like you mentioned I, I do think a lot could hinge on um you know how this season pans out for texas even if he does commit to texas tech you know texas isn't just going to throw in the towel they're not going to stop recruiting him they're going to obviously try to flip him ahead of December in a a strong season could certainly help that you know there's going to be you know the wide receiver position is going to be something you know where there's going to be opportunity for playing time once he gets to campus so you know I do think Tech is trending right now I think that would be the pick if he announced today Um, but again that's it you know we're a long way from signing day a lot of these decisions are still going to you know even if they are made they're going to keep playing out until until early signing day. Hank, bit of a strange question to uh, to end here from me. Sometimes that's the way I am, but it's it's something that's on my mind. I know you're a guy from the area, correct? I've been to, you're you're an Austin right. area guy, right? Um, so I, I've been thinking ever since Round Rock won seven on seven. I watched that team play last year. They're physical as hell. It just it, it pleasantly surprised me that they were able to go to seven on seven and do all of that. Who I'm asking about here is Mason Cochran. Do you think going and winning seven on seven 
could affect the way he's recruited moving forward? Because I'm assuming that people would have thought one thing about him as maybe whatever their typical round rock quarterback has been these last couple of years. But he goes and does that. Does that change the way you think maybe people think of Mason in recruiting? You know, I, I think so. I, I think coaches certainly, you know, they, they watch these seven-on-seven things. Obviously, it's not, you know, real-life football. It's seven-on-seven, seven, so he's not getting rushed or anything. But right. uh, outside of a, a clock counting down. But, uh, no, I, I think that could, that could certainly, you know, boost his stock. It's funny. So, uh, a few weeks back, I, I went over to the uh, at Hill Country Middle School. I went over to the state qualifying and Round Rock was playing there. Obviously, they qualified for state. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just I was watching Round Rock in the in the finals round, and you know I was like, man, this team is really good. Like they they've got some legitimate athletes on their team. You know they have a big big tight end. Mason obviously looked really good. Um, they had a few defensive backs that that I think you know could project to be something pretty big. And I know they have a Notre Dame commit too. I believe in their secondary, but yep. he wasn't playing that week. But I remember I was texting our guys on Horse Twenty Four Seven. I was like, man, Round Rock actually looks legit. So. You know, I, I think certainly, you know, we'll, we'll see how Mason follows up with a, uh, his senior season. But, yeah, he, I mean, he's got some smaller level offers. But I, I think that could certainly, you know, help boost his stock heading into, you know, late summer and maybe get him some invites on, on campus for, you know, th- those late July um, recruiting events. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see where that goes. By the way, Leonard Moore is the guy you're talking about, the Notre Dame commit. <laughs> it, was fun yeah. to, it was fun to watch teams deal with him last year. Mostly they dealt with him by not throwing that way. Leonard does not see a whole <laughs> – he does not see a whole lot of passes to defend, but when he does, he defends them pretty well. He's good. Yeah, yeah, good no doubt. They were, a, they were a fun team to watch, absolutely. Yeah, Round Rock's going to be interesting this season. That is Hank South. Check out Horns247.com. Of course, you hear Jeff every day on Like the Tower, and Jeff was nice enough to hook us up with Hank for the first time. Hopefully it's not the last, Hank. That was good stuff, man. At HankSouth247 on Twitter. We appreciate the time, man. We'll talk to you down the road. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, y'all. Thank you. Hank South, some good stuff there. As Texas continues the recruiting, we ask about some of those biggest names out there. Colin Simmons, the big dog out of Duncanville, um, would be a huge, huge get. Because, obviously, Cameron, it's cool when like a name like Arch Manning is the biggest name in your recruiting class. But sometimes that five-star badass defensive lineman, I'm not saying it's better, but it's pretty cool when that's the guy that highlights a class. And I also look at it as Duncanville is a football factory. You know, betting champions in 6A, they've put a lot of guys in the D1 level. In Texas, you know, they, they added Cam Williams uh, two years ago, but besides that have not recruited Duncanville well. I talked about it yesterday. We added a Nate Kibble from Atascacita, right? So uh-huh. Sark is kind of mending these relationships with these high school area coaches in areas, Dallas and Houston, that, you know, weren't there. North Shore is another school that they've kind of had to work on. So I see it as a, as not only are you getting a guy who, being compared to Will Anderson, it's not too bad. Ooh, yeah. But what Colin Simmons can do, I mean, seeing him play last year in the playoffs reminds me a little bit of Anthony Hill where I believe he can make an impact as a true freshman. It's huge for this recruiting class, but there's a long ways to go. and I'm, I'm interested to see what happens with Terry Bussey. A little late on his recruitment trail. You know, they're still pushing for Ryan Wingo out of St. Louis. Looks like he's going to end up at Georgia. Uh, the Micah Hudson recruitment's been very, you know, up and down with, you know, he's supposed to go to Texas Tech this week. You know, they were prepping for him to commit to, to Lubbock. He didn't. So what does that mean mm. for Texas? I mean, probably a good sign. He still may end up at Texas Tech, but that's a recruitment where, you know, it sounded like from what Hank was saying, that's going to 
go all the way until signing day. You know, it could mean he still he just could still be driving. And, that's true. And probably lost service. That's, I mean, that's that way, is 100% likely. Way out there. Yeah. It's a long way out there. By the way, I, I pulled up Bussy's information here on um, 24-7 Sports and just the short list, Oklahoma, Texas, Bama, LSU, A&M. Offer, the, big, the big ones. The big, the big that's ones. the first five that popped up on an offer list. I haven't looked at the complete list yet. but that, That's from a 2A kid, too. And it's impre- Right, small school kid. He visited Oklahoma on the 16th and, of course, Texas on the 23rd. So, uh, big names there. Recruiting, always a topic around here. So, uh, nice to grab Hank South there for the first time. And, again, shout-out to our guy Jeff Howe for getting that set up for us. Coming up at 1.30, up next, let's get you a flex segment, a closer look at the flex teams in the 7-on-7 and how Round Rock pulled it off. Plus, the commitment happened, and Texas has not offered. We'll tell you who he is on the horn. All right, it is Tuesday. I think I might have this one. Lil Wayne. There you go. Come on! I was hoping Zay's trained you properly. Oh, thank you, Zay Collier. Yes, I have listened to Lil Wayne. It was, don't tell me, the album is called The Carter? Yeah. Which one? He has five. The first one. Okay. He had me listen to the first one. It's very good. I can see it. I can see it. I can can see him tattoo a couple. Mm -hmm. Just a couple. Not too many. Just a couple. Accent tattoos is what he has. Maybe a little more than that. He's a guy, um, one of the best lyricists. I think out there in the rap game. He's really good, um, yes. He's also someone that doesn't remember his own lyrics. <laughs> so his live his live experience is a very unique for everyone? Yeah. I yeah. remember after his last The Carter came out, he went on Jimmy Fallon, and, like, Jimmy Fallon's interns, writers, had to, like, write out Lil Wayne's, like, lyrics on flashcards and give it to Lil Wayne because he didn't know his own lyrics because when he goes in and records songs, he just goes off the dome. He's not, he doesn't have a ghostwriter. He just goes in the studio play the beat let's do it it's so bizarre yeah i i have a ton of respect for the guys the the men and women that are doing that not that it's not that it's any easier to different kind of difficult to go out and and sing you know whatever pop music or whatever you got to remember words of a lot of things Mm -hmm. and artists that have been doing it for 50 years Mm -hmm. i always feel for them too like oh my god how much how much do they need a teleprompter but the idea of that kind of stuff high level well thought out rap music freestyling that just that you know poetry quality of how many words you're dealing with and i'm thinking oh my god these guys are especially ones that have been doing it a while i'm in my 30s now i'm in my 40s now and i gotta go back out on stage and remember that the second track from the carter album are you kidding me have you ever tried the freestyle chad no really you never not even once no okay. not in any legitimate way not at all it's so difficult. My my brain does not work that way. No. I got I got to write stuff out. So to see how he does it, like it's it's a lot of respect because I feel like not just rap, but like anywhere in music right now, a lot of it's a lot of it's ghostwriting right. in writing. Which I'm not saying ghostwriting's wrong. I mean, some of the best Beatles songs came from other people writing their own songs. But it just seems like the art of freestyling doesn't really exist anymore, especially 
in uh, in the rap game. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. That, yeah, I can't think on that level, that whole rabbit versus Papa Doc eight-mile level. I can't think that way, but it is fanta- uh, fascinating and fantastic to watch. All right, uh, it is Tuesday. Last night it was not exactly fascinating to watch LSU, but it was definitive, 18-4 to over Florida. I was thinking as the game was going on, when you're talking about baseball, football, heck, hockey, soccer can be this way. Most sports that we deal with, when you're getting blown out like that, I mean, there's no quick comeback. The only one I can think of is fighting, literally, where you could be getting a hell beat out of you for every round. But as long as you can connect one time, that's the unique quality of a fight. But in most of the sports we deal with, last night was just, you know, you get up by that much in a baseball game, what Florida has to do to come back at that point is just impossible uh, of a mountain to climb. LSU fans got to enjoy it. They got to get comfortable with it and, and you know, throw up the ring gesture throughout the night. It was incredible. 18-4, to they win it. Seventh national title for LSU. And as always, don't try to out-party the Tiger fans. They're going to beat you every time. But I keep telling them, Cameron, and and I know you know this, and Texas fans, had it taken away by COVID, make sure you get to Baton Rouge at some point. Get there for one of those football games. Heck, I've never been for a baseball series, but now you guys are going to have that option. That's something that my Aggie brothers and sisters didn't have until years and years ago. A&M didn't play LSU on any regular basis. Now you're talking about every season, well, I guess every other season, you get a chance to go to Alex Box as well. Legendary venue. I've seen it in, in on a football weekend, but I've never actually been over there for a game. So that's two venues right there. I mean, heck, I guess going to the Maravich Center is probably pretty badass too. <laughs> yep. But but specifically football, baseball, man, they've got it rolling. Uh, we'll see if Brian Kelly can kind of get it back up to the level where it was. But it's a dangerous athletic department right now with what they're putting together. And we've had so many discussions off the air about like, hey, have you been to Athens? Have you been here? Are you going to go there? We never really had those with the Big 12, right? It's like no. you'd ask like, hey, Jeff, are you going to Ames? Yeah. Yeah, your voice always went down when yeah, you asked. Like, yeah, I'm flying to Manhattan tonight. It was almost like, do you have to go? It's like, can you get can someone cover for you? Can Chip Brown go instead of you? It's like, yeah, I'm gonna try. And for this, it's like, it's like you want to go as much as you can. It's like you're gonna you're gonna destroy that travel budget over at CBS, Jeff. Right? Because right? it's like you mentioned Bat- Baton Rouge. I mean, like imagine like so this next season or even for. For Texas, because you have Georgia at home and then Florida at home, right? Yep. But think about eventually you're going to have Gainesville in one year, Athens in one year. You know, maybe it's College Station again, but maybe it's another third, fourth team. Like Fayetteville was fun. Maybe you're you're going to go to uh, Starkville or Ole Miss. Those, those are areas right. where, like, yeah, maybe Starkville isn't the most exciting place on the planet, but you know that that the venue, the atmosphere, the, the town is a little bit more exciting than, no offense, Waco. Yeah, and again, we I'll keep saying it, but if you just grade it all out, the worst SEC trip is probably Nashville for a Texas fan. Thinking about it right now, places you've never been. You'd be, oh, am I going to go see? Nashville might be the bottom of the discussion and then go up from there. And mm-hmm. maybe maybe that's given Starkville a little bit too much love. I don't know. But in terms of Baton Rouge, it's legendary, and uh, it's going to be incredible watching those matchups continue to grow where Texas and LSU are going to play in football on a either regular or semi-regular basis. Same thing with baseball. So we definitely hit uh, LSU today. We will continue that. 
Also, uh, we're going to get into a little basketball a little bit later in the show. 205, Keenan Womack, who's been on the show with us before from Orange Bloods. Let's get a review. We previewed the draft with him, but we haven't gotten his thoughts afterwards. So we're getting his thoughts on not only Wimbenyama with the Spurs, but what the Rockets and Mavs did, uh, how he thinks the draft played out, and then how he thinks free agency could play out with all the discussions of you know from Chris Paul to the Philadelphia situation to all kind of Golden State where does it all you know factor out what Atlanta might be getting ready to do all those different things we'll hit that with Keenan coming up right now though let's give some love to the champs and the rest of the teams that did pretty well at the seven on seven let's get you a flex segment Flex ATX for the best high school sports coverage. Listen to the horn and go to flxatx.com. Flex 30 is brought to you by Brain Vault. Brain Vault is a revolutionary and patented mouth guard that has been proven to help reduce the risk of concussion. Visit brainvault.com and join the movement. All right, you're going to hear a trend, and then at the end of it, you're going to hear the team that beat the trend. Uh, First off, we'll give a little shout-out to uh, Vista Ridge did make the trip uh, over to the 7-on-7. They're really the only area team that wasn't able to really get going uh, in the 7-on-7. Westwood did lose early, but they got to the consolation semis, so the Warriors did put up a bit of a fight there. In terms of Weiss, the Wolves went over. They lost to AM Consolidated, uh, who knocked them out of things. San Marcos also uh, advanced. So, again, every area team advanced into the knockout round. Think of it like soccer. There's a round-robin part, and then you go into a knockout round of uh, a round of, I guess, 16 or, or 32. It goes into a true bracket at that point. So, all the teams, except Westwood and Vista Ridge, advanced into the knockout round. So congrats to uh, those seven teams that I'm about to get into for doing that. Weiss would be the first one. And again, they lost to A&M Consolidated. As you'll hear, that's not an embarrassing thing at all. San Marcos beat Wiley. It's 27-20, Wiley East. Then they lost to A&M Consolidated. Only by two, 20-18. Close loss. San Marcos could be an interesting team to watch this year. So congrats to the Rattlers for getting that far. Westlake, they go 3-0, and get into the knockout round. They lost to Arlington Seguin, 35-21. to uh, Interesting, Seguin then goes on to the semis, and they lost to, you guessed it, A&M Consolidated. Lake Travis fans, your group went 2-1, and one, got into the knockout, then lost another Battle of the Lakes. This one was Lake Belton, though, with Micah Hudson, the receiver everybody's talking about, uh, trying to decide between Tech, Texas, and uh, the other schools. That was a close one, 31-26. By the way, Lake Travis did beat Shadow Creek on the way out of the round of the round robin. They beat him 27-20. I told you to watch that matchup. Shadow Creek's got a lot of talent in that Pearland, Manville, you know, Pearland area. A lot of those kids were at Manville. Now they're going over to Shadow Creek. So that was a big win for Lake Travis. Dripping Springs fans, you got into the uh, round robin. Or excuse me, you got into the knockout round. You beat the Woodlands to do it. You did lose to Hightower, though, 27-25. Close loss. Nothing embarrassing there. Buta Johnson fans, you had a nice run. Beat Cy Creek to get through to the knockout. You beat Brian 33-20. You beat North Crowley 20-19. And then... In the quarters, you guessed it, lost to A&M Consolidated 28-26. So nobody was able to figure out A&M Consolidated, <clears throat> except the Dragons. Round Rock went undefeated through their first three games. Then they get into the knockout, and they beat Manville, another team with some talent from that Pearland area. They beat them 26-19. They beat Heritage 30-22. They beat PSJ North 28-14. 
They beat Capel 32-27. Capel, by the way, is the team that knocked out the defending champs, DeSoto. If you've been wondering, well, what about DeSoto? What about that team? Jonte Cook's gone, I know, but they're still probably talented. They are, and they got beat in the semis, or I guess that'd be the quarters by Capel. No, it was the, yeah, in the semifinals. So the finals was Round Rock and A&M Consolidated, and after all that A&M Consolidated had done that I just told you, rolling through area teams and all the way to the final, Round Rock and that defense hold them to 13 points. 26-13 was the final uh, as Round Rock beat A&M Consolidated. Also, shout out to the Dragons because they won a 7-on-7 game 7-6 in the early rounds. Cameron, that's hard to do. If anybody's ever been to 7-on-7, scoring happens a lot. You just kind of go up and down the field. It really is about trying to find a spare two-point conversion here and there sometimes. Win 27-25, win 32-30. That's crazy. That was with Mason Cochran playing quarterback and defense and on that round of rock Is team. he playing both ways now? He's playing every position, Chad. Zach Lucero texted me during the break, says he tells the Flex crew last week on Wednesday Night Flex that he's actually – told teams when they're in recruiting and discussion, he's told him he's willing to play D. Man, I love that. He's talking to the new head coach about maybe playing a little Mike linebacker. Mason Cochran is one tough dude. We have established that on this show. We told you about it last football season. Zay went to the basketball game this last year when he cut his head open in the early part of a game and literally told them, just tape it, tape, tape my head up, I'll go play. Put me back in. Just cover it up real quick. They had this dude taped up like a like a like you'd see some kind of war movie, like you'd see at the hospital in a war movie or something with a big head bandage. Eventually they didn't let him go back in because they couldn't stop the bleeding. Jeez. But he is that tough a dude. Mason Cochran, I'll continue to ask the question about what does this do for his uh, you know, recruitable stock, but also his receivers. They're not known as a massively dynamic offense. Last year, Mason had 20 rushing touchdowns and only 10 passing touchdowns. His percentage went from 54% as a passer up to 59%. Where does that go this year? Because, again, I'm going to say it, Cameron, your defense can be excellent, but I don't know how you go win seven-on-seven seven if you can't spin a football. Mm-hmm. So Mason Cochran – has obviously kept the development going. Let's see if the offers change for him. Uh, It's a wild story. Congrats again to the Round Rock Dragons for winning 7-on-7. In terms of a couple of uh, offers, commitments, things like that, um, i got to make sure Zay knows this when he gets back. The young man out of Drip, Trace Young from Dripping Springs, went to Colorado State basketball he is now uh transferring to lsu okay so he's going to be at lsu the other one in football we've been telling you about adrian wilson and wondering will there be any more big time power five um commitments this is the weiss receiver remember made the trip to texas didn't get an offer took a visit to ohio state didn't get an offer well he's committed now to tcu congrats to sunny dykes there that is a big get now He's class of 25. Let's remind you, this is his junior year. We might be a long way from figuring out where Adrian Wilson is going to uh, high, uh, going to college, but as of now, he is committed to TCU. So congrats to you, young man, for making that choice. Also, congrats. I don't think we've said this during the flex segment. Congrats to uh, Will Hammonds of Hutto. 
for making the decision love, yeah. to go to Tech. I don't know if we've mentioned it since he officially committed to Texas Tech, but I saw an interview. Flex retweeted it, uh, and you can check it out at FLXATX on social media. Uh, uh, Cameron, it's something we've heard some players. This is not every player, but a lot of players think this way. Hammond said Texas Tech was in on me early, and they contact me almost every day. Somebody's contacting me, reaching out, making sure I'm doing all right. And it's he said it's the right combination of him for him of a friendliness, feel like I'm developing friendships and relationships, but also they're willing to coach me hard. So bravo to Coach McGuire and what his crew just did because they've convinced Will Hammond. As of right now, he is a firm commitment to Texas Tech. Will echoed the same exact thing on the Wednesday Night Flex show a few weeks back about Texas Tech, and he's getting a lot of calls now from big-time D1 places. I'm good. That's fine. Yeah. Which, uh, with his talent, um, Trent Delfer, or I'm sorry, Josh Pate from the Elite 11 said that he was the most impressive quarterback he saw in the whole country, Chad. Wow. Will Hammond from Hutto. This is the guy that he's locked in on Joey McGuire, and I think, you know, you can make arguments about Texas and Texas Tech. No matter what happens here, I'm glad Texas gets away from Texas Tech because I like what Joey McGuire is doing at that program. And, you know, we'll see how how it translates to the mm-hmm. success in the football field. But he's doing a heck of a job recruiting. And you can see see why with Will Hammond, a guy, he could, he could play yeah, he at, can. A, you know, at an SEC Pac-12 type school. And he's fine with Texas Tech. Cameron, I'm glad you mentioned it. Uh, Coach McGuire is actually on the phone for you. He wants to set up a non-conference game every year mm, once I'm you good. enter the SEC. We're good. You good? We're good. You sure? Yeah. He'll go home and home. Nah. Maybe, wait, what do you say? Oh, oh, he'll go be two for one. Two in Austin, one in Lubbock. You, you good with that? I'm th- I don't think so. No I think two. we'll pass right now. No two for one? Okay, just just say All right. He says he says you've got his number. I think we feel the same way that Oklahoma feels about Oklahoma State. <laughs> We're good. You're just done. We're okay. good. Yeah. Finish, finish with that. Hey, I've told you, I have not – experienced a lot of heartbreak with Texas A&M and Texas Tech not playing for 12 years. I have not experienced any heartbreak yet over that one because Texas Tech was a team that definitely uh, gave Texas A&M some trouble at times in football through a certain run. All right, coming up, we will get you uh, where we at in society. We'll see what Cameron wants to get into today, and then uh, we'll talk uh, more recruiting. Uh, Actually, maybe a little bit of recruiting. Uh, Texas did get that basketball commit yesterday. We'll talk to Keenan Womack of OrangeBloods.com about the basketball side of things there, but also get his thoughts post-NBA draft. Uh, At 2.30, it's Why Today Matters. We've been talking about your favorite non-manly movies. I will add another non-manly to the list uh, next hour. Stay with us. This is The Horn. What a great song. Hope you're having a great Tuesday. Nice New Orleans reference right away in this one. Mr. Burton and the Animals with House of the Rising Sun. That's correct. Yeah. It's a classic. A great one. By the way, if you want a music snob out, go find this song in its original version sung from a woman's perspective. Sung Mm. from the perspective of the prostitute. 
if you really want to get nerdy. It's, it's on Bob Dylan's first album that way, um, and it's been others. But, you know, people are so sensitive back in the day, couldn't sing it that way, so you had to kind of change it up a little bit, tell it from the guy's perspective in New Orleans. Uh, but it's a great version. That's such a classic song. It never gets old. That version of that song sounds as fresh as I imagine it did day one. Like, I'm almost jealous in a way, Cameron, of people that are – in that generation, in my dad's generation, your dad's generation, I'm assuming. Um, but, like, the people that got to hear that thing mm-hmm. day one, fresh, I can't imagine. It's a song that right when I hear that guitar start, I got to turn it up. Right. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that's another good gotta way to say it. it. That's it. That's it. It's like when you hear the – even before in Sweet Home Alabama when they tell you to turn it up, you still want to do it. Right? Yeah. When you hear that – Turn it up. It's like, come on. Let's do, Let's go. Uh, even gr- if you hate them, even if they are awful human beings, you still want to turn it up. You still want to turn it up. It does happen. The Animals, Lil Wayne, Survivor, and Lil Elt have all been on the show today. Little New Orleans, LSU, Tiger kind of vibe because the Tigers won it all last night. Seventh national title in college baseball. All right. Uh, we will get into some basketball discussion with Keenan Womack coming up at 2.05, 2.30, why today matters. I'm going to add another non-manly discussion in there. It's going to be non-manly drinks coming up at 2.30. We've been already talking about non-manly movies. We'll get back into all of that. Right now, though, where are we at in society? Let's see where Cameron wants to go. Where are we at in society today? All right, Cameron Parker, what's on your mind today? Just want to touch back on this awful story uh, involving Jimmy Johnson's family, the seven-time NASCAR Cup champion. Mm. Uh, lost his mother-in-law, his father-in-law, and I believe his nephew uh, last night in a murder-suicide that took the lives of all three people um, shortly after 9 p.m. last night in Oklahoma. Motive is unknown. Still, Chad, uh, Jimmy Johnson and his team did announce that they're going to withdraw from the NASCAR Cup Series event this week in Chicago. Oh, God. Where um, after he retired, spent a year in the Indy Car Circuit last year, he's back on the Cup Series circuit this season. But he will not be racing, and understandably so. So thoughts and prayers are with his family after just a really, really awful, awful situation that occurred last night. Yeah, I don't know. I I wouldn't even know where to begin of of what to do when Jeff Howe was leaving here today. He and I are both pro wrestling fans, and you know, Crispin Benoit's name popped in my head because when I think about something that horrific, yeah. something that terrible. And, and it sounds like it may have been similar just in terms of the, the way that that story may have formed. That's how it's being investigated right now as a murder-suicide. And there was a 911 call involved. They're looking into all of that um, in terms of that. But, you know, we don't know. I guess m- maybe we don't find out all the details right away of if it, you know, the you know, if, if this was the, the man, if it was the woman involved, of, of how this all happened and who ultimately um, did this. But just, yeah, a, a terrible story and obviously something that you know, Jimmy Johnson's um, wife is the first person you think of. They have two daughters. I read that today as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thought of, I mean, obviously you could understand how, um, you know, that they would be extreme, extremely close to um, to this, this young boy, an 11-year-old that uh, – that dies in that situation, just absolutely terrible, getting getting caught up in, in whatever that was. Uh, just a horrible story that the NASCAR family is going to be talking about and dealing with over the next couple days and weeks. It's terrible stuff. I believe the mother-in-law is the one that they're kind of circling on, believe that she may have been the one responsible for oh, it, God, is from, from what the, the story sounds like. So but awful. Awful either way. Yeah. 
That's um, terrible stuff. All right, Cam, you got anything else here today? On a on a lighter note, um, did you follow the ugliest dog contest last night? No, I did okay. not know there was an ugliest dog contest. So congratulations to Scooter, and I'll show a picture here. You see Scooter here, uh, seven year old uh, dog, I believe. The, yeah, okay. The breed is. I want to make sure I get it right. A Chinese crested. Uh, the Chinese crested. I am. Uh, I am familiar with and Chinese crested. For those crested. watching on Twitch here, I'll, I'll put it up to the camera so you guys can kind of see uh, reversed hind legs, bald on top, just like me. And oh, and look, what's his name? Scooter. Scooter. Look at Scooter. See, are they saying he's ugly because the tongue's hanging out? Is that what they're saying? Because he looks drunk and hungover? Is that the problem? So he has the wayward tongue drooping from his mouth. Um, yeah, he looks like he's ready to party. I mean, that's what Scooter looks like to me. Scooter looks like the dog is like, hey, you throw it in a bowl, I'll eat it. Let's go. So this was, I don't know if it aired on NBC, but Gaddy Schwartz, one of the uh, competition's judges, and ho- who hosted the event on NBC, I guess, went on today's show this morning. Her quote, Chad, uh, from the second he sits his hairless little booty and backward legs on your lap, you feel warm, huggable power to change the meaning of the word ugly. <laughs> to change the meaning. All right, now i got to go to the next level question. They say sometimes owners and dogs end up looking alike. So if I'm that woman who's showing him off, it, it, what am I supposed to feel like? You just said my dog is the ugliest dog on the planet. What does that make me? I, I'm getting a little Yoko Ono vibes from her outfit in, in this picture. Um, this, yeah. this is. I don't know. I would just. Ta- I would take that as a bit of a shot. Bit of a shot at me as well. He, what once faced death for his deformities apparently because of his two deformed hind legs that hindered his ability to walk. So oh damn, now, I didn't realize I feel, that. Okay, now I just feel awful for even bringing this up. Um, well, yeah, way to go, Cameron. Now you're now we're highlighting this. Well, you know well, what? He, the contest is rolled ugliest dog. You shouldn't know, shouldn't they be under fire? You know what? The dog has overcome. Is the that's, yeah? That's what we learned from Scooter. Scooter does not have certain abilities. Scooter's not doing the agility stuff. Scooter's not winning AKC events. But Scooter's got this going on. Scooter's like, you know what? I'm going to be so ugly that I'm going to be hot. That's how it's going to work. In the world of ugly, I'm the hottest ugly. I'm the Jessica Alba of ugly dogs. Y'all better get out of the way. And Scooter just takes it. Where did they do this? Oh, California, of course. Yeah. Shocker. (laughs) I can't wait for the ESPN's uh, E60 on Scooter and his story. I want to find out. Now, when the drugs really take over. (laughs) When it goes bad for Scooter, what what happens then? We're gonna find him like in a ditch somewhere with a Pomeranian, <laughs> you know, just ragged out. That is so great. The ugly dogs. Congrats to Scooter on winning the world's ugliest dog. Absolutely. Contest. I will admit the Chinese crested is not one of my favorite dog breeds. It is not an attractive breed to start with. So I think if you're going after the world's ugliest dog every year, I think you can start with certain breeds. That's one of them. Any breed where part of the dog is hairless and part of the dog mm-hmm. is not, that that's a good place to start for ugliest dog. Especially with cats, you know the the hairless cats, just oh, like uh, those are terrifying. Like, are are you auditioning to become the evil villain in yeah. some James Bond film? What's going on here? Like the hypoallergenic part, right? Yeah. If I'm allergic to it, that's a good thing. But yes, I've heard that can get really creepy. One of those cats staring at me all day, I would creep me out. 
Would you? Would do you have any pets that you would enter into a ugliest competition? I'm trying to think. Over the years, I don't, we've never really had an ugly dog. We're dog people. We've never had a cat. I've never been, but I've never been around ugly cats either. Everybody's been pretty, pretty solid. I can't think of an ugly one. Yeah. No, it, mo- most of them have been pretty nice. Yeah. How about you? No. Um, no ugly. Yeah. No. Yeah. I've Not never, yet. I mean, never I, been into that. Like my wife says, if we ever got any kind of bulldog, she doesn't like bulldogs because she thinks they're ugly. She thinks English bulldogs are ugly. I might have talked her into a French bulldog because it's got the ears sticking up. I think those dogs are cute as hell. Frenchies? I love them. I love Frenchies. I like the English bulldogs. I like the punched-in pugs. Some people love pugs. See, I love that little punched-in face, but some people don't. I I like bulldogs. I have friends who have bulldogs. Pugs, maybe it's because it was like with Men in Black and like all the ugly aliens in that movie and seeing the pugs, just like, nah. Nope. Can't do pugs. Can't do the small version. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not a big small dog guy. Okay. I'm not a big small dog guy. Fair enough. Um, all right. Oh, here's a good one for the earlier discussion. Favorite non-manly movie, Clueless. That's a good one. Alicia Silverstone. You ever seen Clueless? I have not. Yeah, it's solid. I saw someone throw in Jerry Maguire and Princess Bride. Are those uh, considered unmanly movies? Because Princess Bride's a classic. Shout out Inconceivable. I think that can be considered. Yeah, that's not designed for men. That is not a designed really? manly kind of movie. Because I know some guys, really? I know guys that hate that movie. Princess Bride? Yes. I know people that can't stand it. They repel from it. They talk bad about it. I don't get it. That's I'm, inconceivable. I'm a Princess Bride guy. Uh, but then Jerry Maguire, if you watch through Jerry Maguire, you could tell yourself that's a sports movie. Not really. Hey, yeah, I wouldn't that's say it's a sports movie. That's a rom-com kind of dressed up as a sports movie. But if you really think about that movie, it's not manly specifically so i'll let jerry Maguire go just like earlier a few good i'm uh, not a few good men uh, a few good men <laughs> sorry a few good that's men, unmanly that's, all right Chad. no no that's a manly movie no a league of their own that one is not manly to me that's a non-manly so you can add it to the list i've just added no hard feelings with jennifer lawrence to my non-manly movie list so if you want to add uh one to yours let us know what is on there also coming up at 2 30 i will add your favorite non-manly drinks i'm legendary in my friend groups for being that guy who always drinks girly who always drinks the non-manly drinks we've got one of my favorite ingredients that gets its own day today so we'll dig into that at 2.30. Up next, it's Keenan Womack of OrangeBloods.com, post-NBA draft stuff, plus what the Longhorn basketball team did this week and how it could affect next season. Don't move. It's the Horn.